It is Slice and Dice, number 29. Are you sure about that? I'm positive. I just looked it up. All right. Then I'll take your word for it. You should do that. We are back after a few-week hiatus, even though the last episode isn't even published yet, because I'm too lazy to get around to, to doing anything with it. But uh, So, people don't need to know. I mean, the fact uh, of the matter is that they could get a whole, what, four hours worth of our stuff in one I, day. I have not gotten any angry phone calls yet as to where the uh, where is the next... From uh, our one fan who's turned, a, uh, turned our stuff into a drinking game in some, right. some fashion. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But, nonetheless, we are back, and it is Guardians of the Galaxy weekend. It is. And Interesting, that, again, that it falls on in August. Uh, it seems a little later than, than what you expect to see a Marvel flick, but, uh, you know, whatever. It's all yeah. good. Yeah. It also feels like summer's over. It does. Well, and realistically, after this, what do we have left? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There's no more blockbusters. And Sin City, a dame to kill for. Not Die a blockbuster. For. Expendables 3, nah. yeah. feels like it belongs right in the middle of August where it's going to be. Right. So, yeah, nothing major. I mean, we'll, we'll get through these last few fluff films of the summer and start gearing up for Oscar season again. I like Oscar season. Yeah, I haven't heard any buzz at all this year about the Oscars. I haven't heard if there's anything that they're even uh, they're, promoting yet. Now, granted, I know that that train starts... <clears throat> Bearing down on us, actually, in a few months. Well, I think the next podcast we should get, uh, we should do our uh, you know, top five most anticipated of the for the uh, fall. For the fall, yeah. maybe top ten. Top ten might make more sense. But anyway, <clears throat> what do you got? Well, you know, I had to bring this one up. I don't uh, know. You haven't brought it up yet. I will bring it up. You just let me. It's fascinating to me, as most things are, that it's been since 1963 that we've had a comedy album debut at number one, and Weird Al Yankovic finally, finally breaks in with a number one release the first week with Mandatory Fun. Mm. Now, I will, I will admit I was shocked when I found out it was since 63, because do you remember the mid-80s when all of these comics releasing albums that were huge... You had Rap and Rodney, most people uh, that were into com comedy albums owned a copy of. You certainly, you, you knew somebody that owned Eddie Murphy, Delirious, Eddie Murphy, Raw, Bill Cosby himself. Uh, was Bill Cosby had another one? Was it, 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 for those of you who are parents, you, you'll know or something. Yeah. Uh, but, and I also remember those, Sam Kennison certainly, the, a lot of his career was built around the whole comedy album sure. idea. Steve Martin, wild and crazy guy. Mm -hmm. Most people knew somebody that had that. But it blows me away that it took this long, since 63, for an album, a comedy album to deb debut at number one. Why do you think it is that, it, especially like Weird Al, this is his 14th studio album. Well, why? I'll, I'll tell you why. I think this is a twofold thing. I think, first of all, the competition, the, the quality of music of the 60s, 70s, and 80s is so better than it is today. I would So uh, I would agree. say, at least from a musical perspective, there was a lot more competition for these, these comedy albums back in the day. Mm -hmm. Second of all, what I think works to Weird Al's advantage today 
is the viral marketing campaign he launched prior to the actual With the videos album, and, and... With all and, the videos, yeah. plus, plus the songs that he chose for this album are relevant to today. So people see a video for Tacky or for Aluminum Foil, yeah. recognize the song, say, oh, I like that and stuff like that. But yeah, this Weird Al guy is pretty funny. Maybe I'll pick up his album. Because they like those songs in the, in the regular thing. Much like in the 80s when Al's career really first started taking off, we all knew all the songs that he was parodying. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you bring that up because this is where I'm struggling with Weird Al now. And I love Weird Al's stuff, but I find that now his albums take me five or six listens before I start digging it. Because you don't listen to today's modern music. Is, right. I... I we're in a different world musically now. It used to be we, we all knew those certain few stations you had in the area. You may have had MTV or maybe not, but still it was what it was. It was still the same 30 video loop on MTV. Uh, you knew all the songs, and you just had, if you didn't like a certain song, you just had to wait until it was over. And the iPod generation, going and downloading whatever you want, I think that's lost mm -hmm. for better or worse. And, and, in this in this case, I think it hurts me because I don't know any of the music that he's parodying. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I I guess what foil is a parody of some Lord song. I guess right. And if I listen to it, yeah, all right, I recognize the tune and stuff, but I don't listen to top forty stations anymore because yeah, there's just uh, nothing worth listening to, yeah. in my opinion. And, and I'll even admit that if you were to tell me that. Uh, Tacky, what, I mean, obviously I know now what it's a parody of, of sure. Happy. I didn't know Happy until after I heard Tacky. I didn't know Happy never until heard the, the Oscars. I, 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 That's I, when I first heard of the, heard, even heard the song, or even heard the term Pharrell Williams. You know, and that hat was at the Oscars. It, it, the worst, it, that's a great pull. Because if, in, for me, that's what stands out more, is not the song, it's that fucking hats. Yeah. <laughs> And now, of course, happy is it's like it's like the new call me maybe where everybody's doing oh, yeah. their and whole video. Like, everybody from the age of twenty care. to swi uh, sixty swears it's their favorite and, song. And, and I don't give a shit. It's just, right. It's just not my. It's not my. You know, not my jam, dude. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I, I just I got nothing. Uh, you know what? Thirty years ago, I'm sure our parents were listening to what we were listening to, going, "What the fuck is this shit?" You know? Yeah. Well, it, yeah. It, it is. Kind of interesting to really put yourself in that spot where you say, all we are, we become our parents. But but it's still different now. It's different because it's all digitalized now. You don't need talent to have to have a chart-topping single. You do not need talent. And even people who I actually don't mind, who I think are decent performers, like Katy Perry or stuff like that. You ever listen to them sing without all that accompaniment? Oh, yeah, They're not no. great singers. They're certainly not musicians. No. You know, which is why I, I just have so much appreciation for the era when, when, when there were musicians out there who played their instruments. They weren't auto-tuned. They weren't, they weren't fixed in the post-production. Right. They, they, they were just good right off the top. I love that. The Tom Petty's and the Fleetwood Macs and stuff like that. You know, and for all... Their rawness, and for times when you said that their their voices weren't would struggle, those imperfections though work mm -hmm. because it, it showed how 
I don't know, showed the musical talent that they were putting forth. Mm -hmm. That you expect certain imperfections. Nothing is going to be perfect. And I do like that raw sound. I think it's gone. Well, it's definitely gone from top 40. And, and you can still find it if you're willing to dig through the through the rock charts and things like that. Sure. So, it's, it's funny you bring up how different things sound. You look at, uh, was it three weeks ago that those recordings from quote unquote Britney Spears without, with the, without she the audience? She can't sing. Right. I don't know why this surprises anybody. And I actually went through a phase in the early 2000s dance. where I didn't mind her music, but I never thought she could sing. You didn't mind her music? You didn't mind her music because she dressed up in a cute little scroller I, 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 and a music I video. didn't mind her dancing with a Burmese python singing, I'm a slave to you, sweaty and a little exactly. half Exactly. Yeah, I'll exactly. own that. It's just like Katy Perry, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't mind her. Her tunes are catchy, but I would probably give a lot less of a shit if she didn't have whipped cream cans strapped to her tits and in a video. Yeah, even though there's a certain amount of that that I thought was a little slightly retarded looking. Sorry, I used the R word, but Katy Perry was shooting whipped. Cream well, I, yeah, her well, boobs. It, I know. You There's don't have to be Fellini to get the metaphor about here. That. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is what it is. And as a teenage boy, I would have loved it because God knows I loved it then. And I don't know how many times I've sat and watched Katy Perry videos. Much like the first time I saw I'm a Slave for You when mm. that video came out and Britney sweating amongst the, the writhing people and going, oh, Jesus Christ. Right. No, I, I think Weird Al was... The marketing on this was brilliant because yeah. it... it, it it launched those videos ahead of the album, and, and it, it connected with people of today. He didn't need to convince fan, lifetime fans; they were gonna—they're on board anyway. Right. But it is great, though, that this looks like his last major or major release studio album-wise, mm -hmm. because with this album, his contract is up with whatever studio he's he's tied right. to. From now on, he'll be releasing stuff digitally, most likely right off his website, and probably to iTunes at that point, but it'll all be digital. And it, it's great that he, he was finally able, after all these years, to have an album hit number one literally the week it's released. That, mm -hmm. to me, is just a testament, some, some, damn, some damn good work. And you're right. There's some other work in the background. And you could also have to say no other major albums came out that way. Mm. Nothing that was going to compete. I mean, even if you... Even like next week, I know Godsmack's new album drops. You gotta, you, I'd have to believe that would do better than a, an album by Weird Al. Possibly. I don't know. They're pretty genre, so... Now. Yeah. Yep. But, alright. So... It sounds as if Tarantino is going to be releasing Kill Bill again. But he's re-releasing it, calling it the whole bloody affair as one big extended cut, including the 30-minute animated sequ anime sequence with the Oren Ishii. Good, bad, too long, too late? Um... Yeah, but he's not. Is he releasing this as a, a theatrical feature? No, no, it's going to be just a, just a souped-up Blu-ray. Which, yeah, I I don't know. I'd rather see a Kill Bill three in, in the Thank theater. You. And, and that's why I brought it up. Is to a certain extent, to me, this almost feels cash grabbish, which it isn't. Tarantino doesn't need the cash, and. But I would rather see an effort put forward because you could actually expand upon the story that we've got here. 
You could, but I, I think you've got a guy who's who's firing on all cylinders cinematically now. I, I, I love the Kill Bill movies. I don't necessarily need to go back and get another extension of that as long as he keeps giving us what, we're, what he's giving us. And it sounds like the Hateful Eight is going to start shooting, what, early Soon. 2015, yeah, right? Not, yeah, not too too long, which just makes that little tantrum of his look, look kind of dumb. But... He's done this before. And Tarantino... He's a weird dude. He, he's, a, he's a great director, but I think he's the kind of guy that would frustrate the fuck out of me if I had to be with him any for any I love Tarantino. He's, one, he's, he's definitely got his own unique vision. He doesn't, he, he doesn't kowtow to, to the studios. Uh, you, you know what you're going to get with a Tarantino movie, and, mm-hmm. and you know nobody is going to stand in the way of that. So, you know, he's, he's right where he needs to be, and he's making the movies I want to see, and... It, it, it kills me because I see like people uh, will go comment on message boards and I got a staff message boards. It's like it's like oh, just another bunch of Tarantino bullshit. This guy has got no range. I want to see him do something else. Why? Why do you want to see Tarantino he, do something besides a Tarantino art. movie? He's got his style. Yeah. That's his style. Right. I like you people like it that or you don't. He's pretty much built this modern spaghetti style. Right. I don't need to see the buddy cop movie by Tarantino. I don't need that. Right. I want to see a Tarantino. Well, and and I actually love the fact you brought up the buddy cop idea. Not that I've seen this film, because I haven't. But it's kind of like Kevin Smith already having his own thing, but then doing a studio film, Cop Out, and getting eviscerated for it. Well, yeah. he was offered well, a right money. Either. Right, no, no, this was totally not his. But it, uh, for that reason, a lot of people hate it. Well, right, but it's not a Kevin Smith film. Right. You want to see Kevin Smith doing Kevin Smith films. Right. Thus, when Tusk rolls out, I'm all over this movie. And I don't want Tarantino doing other people's films. No. Tarantino has his own style. Tarantino is a genre. Completely within its own style. And I don't want to see him going anywhere else with it. Scorsese, okay, Scorsese's a different kind of director. He can use other genres, but he still has certain looks and feels that are very like Scorsese. Yeah, yeah same there's certain kinds of shots and things that you're going to expect. Mm-hmm. And Tarantino's no different, but Tarantino, like you say, he has his own genre, his own style. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, i got to bring up my list, because I just forgot what I was going to bring up. On the uh, idea of directors, Rob Zombie's come forward and is going to crowdsource his new movie, the movie 31, about a bunch of teenagers that get abducted and have to spend five days basically in kind of a a funhouse slash asylum setup. I thought he was doing a hockey movie. So did I. About the uh, some Philadelphia brawlers yeah, yeah, like the, the Bronx, yeah, and uh, Broad Street bullies. Or but something. no, he's he's now crowdsourcing this movie Thirty One, and it's interesting what he's crowdsourcing because it's I like zombie films, but there's times when you hear what people will sell from themselves that it comes off a little sketchy to me. You donate five hundred dollars for him, he will follow you on face uh, on Twitter. And these kind of things, to a certain extent, smack of slight egotism to me. Um, but I get it, because you can say Rob Zombie follows me. Yeah, but I'm, I need to get more for my money, than fi- for, more for $500 than that. Than somebody just saying they're going to follow me. For 10000 I believe it is, you can... I want to say you get your name as a special thanks at the end. 
And there was some investment that you can get a basically a laminated pass to have passes to every single Rob Zombie concert from now until the end of time. But I'm sure that's up in the twenty or thirty thousand. Been here once, (laughs) right? (laughs) I'm not traveling unless that comes with uh, all expenses paid to get there. I yeah. And, And this to me is where I struggle with crowdsourcing because. I don't believe that Zombie needs to crowdsource a film. Maybe, but I, I don't Depends believe what he wants to do. And maybe that's what it is that my that's my disconnect that I want to discuss is where what are the lines around crowdsourcing? Are there any? Uh, can should any director have the right to crowdsource, or is it that they that they have their own vision and don't want to go through a studio, thus crowdsource? Well, I think I think there's some of that. Um, and I, you know, I don't, I don't care. I, you know, I don't care if somebody wants to crowdsource because it, it's really on the people who whether they decide to, to donate to it mm-hmm. or not. And you it's know? a zombie film. You know what you're going to get. Personally, I wanted the hockey film. I, I, I that would have been a, a different. I, I don't know what I, what to expect from a Rob Zombie hockey flick, but and, uh, and that's kind of why thirty one sounds like it's right in his wheelhouse to me. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking basically teenagers being chased down by killer clowns mm. with chainsaws and basically have to survive up until Halloween night right. in this funhouse. That's a zombie film. Uh, yeah, and it's a zombie film I want to see. And right. if it takes, you know, people... I'm not going to give them any money to do it, but mm-hmm. if other people want to and, and, and it gets it done and I get to see it, I'm all on board with it. But, I, you know, crowdsourcing to me is not that big a deal because... I have the choice of whether or not I want to watch the, or, or donate to it. I, you know, I don't have to. I don't have to do shit. But I'm always amazed by the people though that can afford to crowdsource all this shit. <clears throat> right. We could stand to be crowdsourced. Somebody could crowdsource yeah, us. Crowdsource uh, fund our trip to Comic Con next year. Oh hell yeah! We we would do a damn good job reporting it. Sure. You'd get a podcast to be posted well, within a couple weeks afterwards. Yeah. We promise. We try to get interviews with the people that are important to us, like Nick Frost and Simon Pegg and sure. the other luminaries in the field. Right. Um, but yeah, it, crowdsourcing to me is always interesting because I always wonder about that dude who's sitting there with so much money that they can crowdsource, the, that, that they can afford to pay this crowdsourcing. Yeah. Because I know it ain't me. Right. I kept telling myself I wanted to be able to do it for like Corolla's thing. I never could get around to doing it because every time I look at it, I go, I could give him a hundred bucks. Or I could pay my central main power bill on time this month. Right. So, you know what? I, I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. But i got to take care of me before I take care of you. Yeah, he'll get the money. <laughs> and God knows I, I'm down for seeing Zombie do that kind of film because Lords of Salem did nothing for me. And I'd like to see him try not to be as heady. Just give me... Go back to Devil's Rejects. Go back to House of Corpses or Halloween or whatever. I think guys like Zombie are, are, are the ones that really are the ones that I expect to be crowdsourcing and stuff like that. The ones that it's a little bit of a tougher sell for a studio to go, eh. Yeah, you're going to give him $40 million or $30 right. million to do your movie? Right. Yeah. yeah, probably not. Fair no, enough. I'm not going to give you $30 million and you want to put Sherry Moon Zombie in it? Sure. <laughs> no. She's a proven talent. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Sid Haig's not doing anything. We'll get him in there. Well, last thing I knew, he was kind of at war with Sid Haig. Oh. Because, well, you almost booted him from Lords of Salem. 
something about Sid Haig not showing up for shoots or, and finally Zombie called him out. And Sid, ha Sid Haig decided to show up. He was only in like one shoot. I ought to say he played one of the Puritan dudes that was sentencing one of the witches. Yeah, Lords of Salem was not a good movie. No. No, well, Lords of Salem was one of those cases where somebody tried getting heady when they weren't supposed to. Right. And it, it was weird genres that didn't mix from somebody who really, I don't know, was meant to do heady movie anyway. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. The crowdsourcing thing that I find frustrating, but it's more just, I wish I had that kind of money to throw around. If, but you're right, Zombie is the kind of director that realistically probably is better suited this way. At least he can get the movie he wants to do. Right. So Alex Kurtzman and Chris Morgan have been asked to basically create a Marvel universe around the, the classic universal horror movies. Not a Marvel. Right, a, a Marvel-esque universe. Oh, okay, gotcha. Is what I meant. Gotcha. Around that basically they, they've been asked to create these interweaving storylines and bring back the old universal, the classic universal creature feature films. Yeah. And the first one to be released is that Kurtzman will be directing a modern take on The Mummy. Yep. Good or bad thing to bring these things back? Fine concept. Don't want Kurtzman anywhere near it. Thank you. Kurtzman got kind of a spotty history here. And Him and his buddy Roberto Orsi? Yeah. No. And... I love the old Universal films, and certainly they're going to feel dated now, and I, I get that. But there's still a certain amount of passion I have around those old black and white movies. They were great in their time, and I don't want to see somebody shit all over them, and that's what I'm afraid we're going to get. You could. Some people would argue that the Brandon Fraser films have already destroyed The Mummy, but those are something else entirely. Sure. The Mummy, the original Mummy is something different, and... I think you could do a modern take on these. I don't know that I, I don't know that I understand why Kurtzman was chosen to do this though. I don't know why he's the proven commodity that they're running with. Well, you're talking about a guy who is who's responsible for the screenplay for Amazing Spider Man two. Mm-hmm. Um That was good. He was a part of the uh He's part of the writing teams of some decent stuff. Um, I, I think Orsi, quite frankly, is uh, a more egregious error, which he's not a part of this, but he's doing the next Star Trek flick, so I've got no hope that that's well, going to be yeah, good. and doing with a capital um, D, because he, he's been put in charge of the whole goddamn Kurtzman's thing. Kurtzman's behind the screenplay for Cowboys and Aliens, Transformers, oh. Revenge of the Fallen, the original Transformers... You know, things like that. So, I mean, he's got some decent stuff on his resume. He doesn't have a lot of directing experience. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm more comfortable with him here than I am Roberto Orsi, because I think Orsi's a complete hack. Um, but this still isn't the... I don't think this is the guy that you want trying to rekindle this this type of stuff. And and I just... I, I don't... Because I, I, partially I don't think that he is going to give you... The tra I think he's going to ignore tradition here, and he's going to give you some sort of 2015 version of this stuff, which I, I don't think works in this, nope. in this scenario. No, you have to capture why these movies clicked 
70, 80 years ago. Right. And, and I know in some cases they're not that old. But what what worked about the old 80, what the old black and white films? You know what you don't need in these flicks is CGI. And they're going to be big Thank you. CGI You need to practical tests. effect the hell out of these. Yeah. They were all about sound effects. They were about movement. They mm-hmm. weren't about this perfect flow. That wasn't the intent. Right. They were all about, all about everything else. Because yeah. then there was no perfect. And that's the problem with CGI. And that's, that's I think, is where I do struggle with the prequels for Star Wars is they look too clean. And when you hit that point, things, to me, are flawed. Because nothing can ever be perfect. You want to see the little little errors, the, little, the kind of grit to it. Yeah. That looks right. So, yeah, they need to do these practical effect-wise with different people. Then I'm fine. I, I, I think there's certainly room for bringing the old Universal ones out. I just don't think they'll do it that way. I think they'll put a bunch of freaking CGI effects money into it and completely miss the, part, the point of why this stuff was good. Right. And I don't think Kurtzman's the guy that's, that's going to... Kurtzman's not the guy who's going to do this right. No, not Just at all. Just don't see it. Not at all. It, 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 to me, he is a, a curious choice, even though if you want to you look at it from a studio's eyes, they may look at the dollar signs attached to some of those movies you listed and say, well, he's proven. Yeah. Sure. He, he, there is money that's been made by this guy. But... Ask people what money not. that's been made by Michael Bay. Do you right. want him in charge of, of bringing something like this back? And that's the key is, are they the people you want to bring these things back? Right. If you just want to keep something going, all right. But I, I don't know if he can, he can sustain, but he can't reinvigorate. No. So 40 years ago last month, where were you? I don't know. I was seven. There you go. I know what you were probably doing. When I was seven? The game show High Rollers premiered in July of 2000, uh, 2014, of 1974. Do you remember High Rollers? It's not ringing a bell. High Rollers, as soon as I start describing it, you'll remember it. High Rollers had two contestants facing each other. They And basically, they're the host, played by Alex Trebek, would ask them questions that were true, false, yes or no, and whoever got the question right, and it was always it was always one, it, just two choices. Whoever got the question right could choose to roll the dice, which are these big square cube dice, or hand them off to their opponent. And they were next to a board that was a giant craps table, and they had to roll them. Yeah, and up on the board would be like numbers one through ten, and you had to you could use any combination of the dice to either add up to those or. This die was one and six. I want to remove the one and six. And you keep getting questions, going back and forth with the dice until one of you fucked up and rolled something and couldn't remove any number. All right. No, I, I remember that, but it wasn't one I went to. It wasn't a go-to game show for me. For me, it it's, wasn't about high rollers. Let's do a few minutes talking about the old classic game shows. I love that. Because I, I look at what we have for game shows now, and... The new stuff makes me want to fucking vomit. I look at shows like that awful show that Jane Lynch is running on NBC that's got the celebrities competing against each other playing Pictionary and Mm -hmm. Attaward and everything else. And I I think back to what we used to have for game shows. Back in the heyday of the game show, in the 70s and 80s, 
the match games of the world. Loved match games. And Pyramid. And when Price is Right first started, it was such a different thing. The game shows back then... Dude, if you were out sick from school, you spent all morning watching just game shows. Card Shocks. Everybody watched Card Shocks. Joker's Wild. Mm -hmm. Everybody watched this stuff. And to me, they're so much a part of our childhood. Oh, sure. And I feel like that's something that's lost now. Yeah, well, a lot of that stuff's lost just in this digital age where the content is available everywhere at any time and stuff like that. But yeah, sure. When you were home from school, you did watch that shit. I mean, it was basically from like nine on. Then you would get, uh, you know, from from seven until for seven seven to eight at night, you would get a couple of different night. Yep, they'd have the the quote unquote prime time games at the game Uh shows. Which I want to say, at some point, actually, high rollers end up going in too. Well, I mean, Jeopardy's clearly Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune still still do that. Um, I was a big fan of Tic Tac Doe with Winky Martindale. Dude, what now? Which was the one? Actually, this may be Tic Tac Doe. Which was the one that the dude would pull out the wad of hundred dollar bills and would count off the hundreds went to the winner, and he'd lick his fingers one, two. I think it may have been Tic Tac Doe. Tic Tac Doe. It wasn't Tic Tac Doe that I'm aware of, but I, I thought maybe. Wait, no, like maybe that was Joker's it. Wild. Because it was the one that was like a, it was like three scrolling banners, and they pull a slot machine kind of roller. Yeah, that was Joker's Wild. Yeah, and the guy would count off. He, oh, you got five hundred. He pulled the wad of cash. Like five hundred was big winnings, which it was back then. And lick his fingers for each hundred as he was handing it over. The people, oh yeah, um, Bill Bill London or something like that was the guy's name, as I recall, the the host of that one. Yeah, Tic Tac Doe, yeah, old Wake Martindale. Wake Martindale. Yeah, they, uh, to me, the, the game show was just a dying, dying art. Match game was my game, though. Oh, well, match game was fun because as a kid, you knew they were saying some adult shit that mm-hmm. you, you weren't getting, but you knew parents would, so you'd think that shit was funny. Mm-hmm. Because Gene Rayburn got away with fucking murder. Yeah, Charles uh, Nelson Riley. Oh, dude. Charles Nelson Riley, uh, Fanny Flag, Soupy Sales, Jamie Farr was usually around there. Who's who's the 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 kind of gay overweight dude that had the wig and the bucket full of <coughs> glitter? Oh, wow, that was a Rip Taylor. Rip Taylor, yeah, he was he'd be on it. Yeah. Doctor Joyce Brothers every now and then, <laughs> who basically had a career. I don't know what she was a doctor of. No, I, but she had a career basically appearing on game shows and occasionally real people. Um. Yeah, you, you did Hollywood Squares, and Paul Lind was always in the center. Square oh yeah, and yeah. Yeah, that that again, kind of gay, kind of not sure. Yeah. Snarky son of a bitch, three sheets to the wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, I like the old game shows. They were always good. Even liked uh, Price is Right. Oh yeah, but it was all in those formative years. Barker's Beauties were hot. Well, and we knew all of them. Oh, sure. Diane Parkinson. Uh, Janice something. And yeah. the Holly. Yeah. Holly was the one that... Ho- that was, ho- the Holly thing was more... That was close to the discussion around Gilligan's Island. Which woman would you want to be with? Which Mrs. Mrs. Howell wouldn't be part of. Because Holly was the one that was more housewifeish and less model. But there was something girl next door that was kind of hot about her. Sure. Diane's the one that he got in the lawsuit with, if I'm not mistaken, right? right? Yep. 
So, in California... Heard of it. People were coming home to find porcelain dolls had been dropped on their porches all over a certain town. I haven't heard of this. You haven't heard this? No. And, interestingly enough, the target... So ominous. Interesting enough, the target was always the house that a little girl belonged in. But there was always a creepy porcelain doll left in the front porch. Now, come to find out, they've discovered who it was, and it's some woman who didn't mean anything by it. She just knew these little girls from church. And has no understanding why people would be concerned Mm -mm. that they were coming home to find creepy porcelain dolls on the uh, the front desk. First of all... What say you? (laughs) What say me? What say me is I would have... I would have been awake twenty four seven with a shotgun sitting inside my living room to find out you get home to find Annabelle sitting on your front porch. Exactly. Yeah, that that especially when it's porcelain doll. I mean, you know, it's not even like it's American Girl or cabbage patch. Porcelain doll is creepy. Porcelain doll is was is toy of the turn of the century eighteen hundreds toy because they hadn't perfected plastic yet. Well, plastic. Yeah, yeah, there was either porcelain doll or hoop with stick. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it, and nobody under the age of 106 is even is even into porcelain doll at this point. And yeah, it, it's just clearly some some wacky old lady who's who's got no ill intention, but doesn't understand why that's fucking creepy. The cops have decided not to release her name. Because she's so embarrassed by it. Do we even know how old she was? No. They, they're not even releasing that. I'm going to say she's 108. I'm going to say she's some very old lady who had a lot of disposable income. Because also, it's not like porcelain dolls are cheap either. And to, to me, this is somebody spending a lot of money to prepare their rape van and roll that sucker up. That, that's the problem. Is We are in a day and age where... People are heathens to a certain point. Sure. And whenever you see something like that happen, you need to look at what bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, we're in a world now where you can't buy glass bottles of beer at a stadium because somebody's going to smack somebody over the head with it. Right. It's just the world we're in. We're, we're, we're stupid that way. That's the way she went about it, too. I mean, you know, if, if old lady knocks on the door and, you know, says, oh, I've seen your daughter at such and such, and I had this little doll I thought she might enjoy, fine. You appease the woman, you take it, and then you fucking burn that thing in your fireplace afterwards. But but you don't, you, you know, you don't walk away from that going like, holy shit, we're all going to die in our sleep right. tonight unless we don't burn this doll. But you just, just come to, home and doll sitting on your porch. Sit your points, then, <laughs> then somebody is sending you a message, and that <laughs> message isn't usually good. And you hope it's somebody on this realm. Yeah, if right. it's not, well, if exactly. doll just walks up on its own and plops down it, your exactly. porch, that's another level yeah. to things that you yeah, don't need to get it's, into. It's funny. It's just like that that uh, douchebag in England that was dressing up as the freaking clown and just popping up here and there. I'm like, and that's why I brought it up. Point. Do you a think this is a good idea, and then, and how do you just not get shot at that point? You may have the best of intentions, and and I'm sure in some case, especially with this old lady, I'm sure she had the best of intentions. Sure. I'm sure she's like, oh, those little girls are so sweet. Yeah. But you know what? You don't do 
case the entire neighborhood for little girls in your church and drop fucking dolls in the porch when they're not at home. Right. Because somebody thinks you're setting them up. Yeah. Just like if you look out the window and see clowns staring in, mm -hmm. even if it's to drum up business, the local circus, hey, we're here to have a good time. Right. No, you're clowns staring in my fucking window in the middle of the night. Yeah. And you need to die. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I think at that point, it's you or me. And, and you're going to die. Right. If I wake up and see clowns standing outside my window looking at me, Clown is not going to make it off the property. That was that was when when I was reading this article. That was my first bit. Is this is clown guy all over again? Mm. Thing and just missing that disconnect of what really creeps people out, right? Or somebody trying to gain power. Right. Either way, there you go. That's awesome. Uh, so shall we break here real quick? And oh, I think into... we need to break here, don't you? Yeah, because we're out of beer. Yeah, uh, we'll come back with some what we watch. Time for a little what we watched. Did you uh, watch anything? Yeah, I've seen three things. I have seen three things as well. A fourth one that I'm going to bring up, but that's actually uh, a television thing. Huh. Well, why don't you bring that up first? Because we know we've shared one of the three things. Right. I well, let me think we, we've shared. Yeah. yeah, we've shared. Well, we know at least one of them we've shared. Um, no, I, I, I knocked off uh, season four of Louie. Oh, yeah. and? Um, it was different than the first three seasons of Louis. Now, season four is the season that just aired, right? Yeah, it's, it's the season that just wrapped up. Yeah. Um, and I just sort of binged it. But, um, you know, Louis is one of those, one of those guys who, who really is just, his whole act is off of, like, real life type stuff. Um, you know, he's not for everybody. He's I, you know, I appreciate what he does, but he's very, very dry. And a lot of the stuff really isn't funny, per se. I mean, he doesn't, like, necessarily take a story and make it into this huge, hilarious thing. He just sort of allows the reality of it, the real-life piece of it, to, to, to pull the humor from. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but this season of Louie was a lot, uh, I don't want to say darker, because that's not really the word, um, but it was it was more depressing in that Louie was just sort of a dick for most of it, and it was really about him and his, his failings in life and his relationship issues and his you know he's divorced guy and his kids are causing him troubles and um it, so it was really just sort of bleak it was just kind of like if i'm this guy at some point i'm just gonna hang myself kind of mm -hmm. thing now in the middle of that there were some what i would say poignant episodes 
towards the end, a couple of the last episodes were about when he caught his, one of his uh, daughters, his 12-year-old daughter, out in the park uh, hitting the weed. And how he, he just grabbed her and drug her ass home and stuff like that. And, and you know, the kids, of course, oh, you doing? I didn't do any of this stuff. But the two episodes are spent with why this is such a big issue to him, aside of the, the obvious that his 12-year-old was, was just doing weed. But when he, they, they flash back to when he was younger and the trouble he got into because of weed. And Jeremy Renner's in it as, as kind of the, uh, the, the drug salesman and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, it, it's kind of like this poignant thing. But so to see, there's nothing funny about this. I, I appreciate what he's done. I think, what, I think the episodes were really well done. But... He's a comedian, and I kind of want to see comedy when I see Louie. So, while I can appreciate what he did there, it wasn't funny at all. So, I'm, I'm like, ah, yeah, alright, whatever. Then earlier on in the year, he's, it's, it's about all about his dating and stuff. This was the first time I felt like like each episode was was a continuation from episodes, where a lot of his earlier stuff, for me... Felt a lot more standalone episodes. Mm-hmm. This one here was really a full season of from point A to point B, and they all sort of carry over into each other. Um, you know, there was one episode early on where, and I don't remember the actress's name, but he was out sort of on a date with uh, a fat chick that he met at one of his stand up things, and they did a whole thing. And this actually made like, like, national I buzz. I remember talking about um, Because she made some comment about, oh, you should try dating. You know, it's, it's a bugger if you're a fat chick. And he makes the comment, oh, you're not fat. And of course, at that point, she's like, ah, oh, I really thought you would be different and stuff like that. You know, the worst thing you can say to a fat chick is you're not fat. Because then we know you're just full of shit. Yep. And, and the actress who did it, and I think it's probably on YouTube, the actress who did it, it was, a, it was a very well done, like, five or six minute segment. And it and it, it resonates because of how truthful this stuff was. And that's where Louis is, is very good at capturing the real life pieces of it. Mm-hmm. But there was so much of that type of stuff this season that it really pulled from the comedic elements of Louis. And some of the stuff that, that you remember from the first three seasons that were really funny did sort of lacked here. So I'm not I'm not sure from a comedic standpoint, it, it really didn't do much for me at all this season. It just it, it just wasn't there. Um, but it's hard for me to say it was bad because he had so many like well done segments like that. It's just not what I want in my comedy flicks, you know, or my comedy shows. Now, this was the season he'd just come back from an extended yeah, hiatus, like 18 years. months yeah, or yeah, 20. Yeah, at least. Yeah, he took a couple of years off to come back with this. And, you know, so still there's people out there who will say that this is, was brilliant and he's just at the top of his game and stuff. But, you know, if you're, if you're looking to sit down and check out and just laugh your ass off, Louie is not the thing yeah. for you. Louie is... 20%, especially this season, 25% comedy and 75% just dude going through life. Really. Reminds me, it's like a like half hour episodes of uh, American Splendor. 
you know, oh, yeah. you know, real life, and and you're you're banking on those real life experiences to provide the comedic element, but a lot of times real life just isn't funny, um, and and that was a lot of what this was like. I, I you know I, I don't not recommend it, but it, just be prepared for something different out of Louis this time. I I've only been I've only really tried Louis. Maybe it was season. Two or three. Whatever season it was when there was an episode which I found funny where he was taking his daughters to meet like his great aunt or something. But it was the just dealing with taking the youth today to meet somebody that still would speak in ways that was acceptable back in the 40s and 50s. Right. Because, case in point, she used the, the derogatory term for Brazil nuts in front of the girls. Right. And the girls were like, you can't... She said... He, and it was it was funny watching him explain... Sure. Look, at her age, they don't know any different because then everybody used that terminology. And that's and when Louis it. is funny. And that, I found, was brilliant. But then I've seen other episodes from that same season. And I seem to remember one where he was trying to bring ducklings home and it kept cutting to being like some Vietnam thing. And I'm yeah. like, I don't know what you're trying to do here. Yeah, sometimes sometimes they'll veer off that. Like one episode from season one when he's chaperoning a field trip. And the school bus breaks down in Harlem, and he tells all the white kids to get in the middle, and the black kids to sit at the windows. That's funny shit, dude. That's funny, because <laughs> he's just playing off the racial <laughs> stereotype. That's a riot. Um, but yeah, that was that was lacking a lot here. There was a lot of, uh, lot of um, cameos. Like I said, Jeremy Renner pops up in a couple episodes. Um, an old lady who I, whose name I can't remember, she popped up in a few episodes. Uh, a lot of his comedian buddies, Dave Attell, was in this season and stuff. Mm. Uh, but yeah, when he's doing his stand-up and basing his stuff around those things, it's funny. Uh, when he's getting all, you know, Sorry, when he but... has his messages out there, you know, it's just not what I want to see in my comedy. It's not that it wasn't done well, it's just not what I want in my comedy. Sure. You know? I don't need... I don't want life lessons from modern family. Okay? Well, it, it's funny because... Actually, we're coming into what? Is it right now is the final season of Wilford's running? Not that that show has been that thing's still funny there. at all. No, it was never funny. It, 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 I got... at the By the end of the first season, I'd given up on it. I actually tried like the second... The first episode of the second season and said, Nope. I get it. He's a stoner. I, well, yeah, I've done exactly. with this one trick. Right. right. When, when that is your whole crutch is is that when weed is your go-to crutch for comedy, you've lost. Yeah. And Always Sunny is coming out its final season next yeah, month. Yeah, which I think is it's, it's, it's overstated to welcome. Yeah, because that if you go back to second, third season, this yeah. show was funny as shit. Yeah. And they even, was it two seasons ago, they had a, this kind of rebirth. Yeah. And it was, whichever season ended with the great uh, two-part episode where they go to their high school reunion. That was awesome. And have the dancing scene. Right. But those bits the, the the seasons around it were too far, far and few in yeah. between um yeah that was the same season that had uh frank's whore was the first right. episode yeah. that season was Probably brilliant more. yeah uh but other than that yeah this show is definitely overstated smoker and it was great stuff and they don't know the show's had like a nine-year yeah. run here yeah, which is unheard of and especially considering early on it had nothing for him just slowly built up and word of mouth um Hopefully they'll go out uh, on top. And the league will be kicking up. Yeah. It should be kicking up 
early September. One of the most consistently funny. Yes, that that. Well, you and I have said it before. It, the league was brought on as a midseason replacement to follow up whatever they had on after Always Sunny. Yeah. And in the end, the league has been funnier mm-hmm. by far over Always Sunny. Yeah. It's it's just consistently funny. Even the bad episodes tend to be better than what's going on in Always Sunny right now. Yeah. And again, that's not any knock on Always Sunny. Always Sunny has been brilliant. Right. It's just it's overstayed. Um, do you want? Do, you want, do you, should we discuss the the group one, the the one we've seen? Sure. And that would be the Luc Besson film Lucy. Lucy. Uh, the 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 film where you can't judge a film by its trailer, apparently. Hello, Miss. I speak English. I translate for Mr. Zhang. 다방안에 뭐가 들어있는지 아냐고 물어봐. Mr. Zhang wants to know what's in the case. Richard gave me the case to give to you. That's all I know. Okay, please tell him that. 자기는 아무것도 모르고 그저 리차드가 가방을 호텔까지 가져가라고 했답니다. 야, 이거 가방 여는 비밀로 가라고 얘기해. 야, 이 가방 조심해라. 이거 터질 줄 모르다. He gave me a paper with numbers written on it. I don't what is this? It's the code to open the case. What's really in here? Nothing dangerous. Mr. Jan insists that you open the case. Okay, okay. Uh, Lucy, as you've seen in the trailers, is a a film uh, about a, a female played by Scarlett Johansson, Lucy, who is forced into running some kind of drug. And she's taken captive by the drug lord she's supposed to deliver it to, and forced to ingest or inject some of the drugs. And they basically expand her mind power. Yeah, the, the drug is designed to increase the brain's functionality in small doses. Mm-hmm. And yeah, part of part of the distribution method is to send these drug mules, Lucy being one of them, they sew up the, the little packets inside their abdomens and then they will send them off around the send globe them off around the globe and they'll take them out when they get to the other end but yeah she got she gets tangled up in captivity with some dude who kicks her in the gut a couple times and it releases some of this drug into her system mm-hmm. and all of a sudden she's this gradually becoming this the super being of intellect and it's one of those films that early on has great promise the action scenes as she's starting to gain the abilities were actually fantastic. I like the scenes where she's coming in with doing some of the gunfights yeah. and whatnot. And, and the thought processes around trying to figure out the movements they were going to have, that was entertaining. Early on when this movie... And, and have you seen this supposed leak of some print that Luc Besson has of the way he was depicting the film no. where it said basically he there were three films he was trying to capture the first film was his own he felt that the first third of the movie would capture Leon the professional which I can but in as much as it's an action movie and one of the other movies that he feels that he'd capture at one point is Inception and okay, and I think the third one may have been 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, regardless, when he moves on from Luke, from uh, the professional mode, 
this movie starts to fall apart and fall apart fast. Yeah, because it, it, all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's working under the premise of, of what... It's working under the myth of the humans only use 10% of their brain... And thanks for calling out that that's a myth, because that's completely not true. It is completely not true. But, um, you know, that, that's, that's what they're working off here. Mm-hmm. And that gradually Lucy's brain is powering up. Which, of course, they keep flashing up in percentages on the screen. Right. To remind you, not that it's but, not enough that you're seeing her suddenly seeing things like the glass in her car... Becoming digital code going yeah. higher that you can And therein for. lies my biggest problem with this is that, all right, if you want to increase her intelligence, that's fine. But to me, regardless of what percentage your brain can function at, intelligence is still learned. Right. You have to learn something. I, I can understand the pieces of her remembering the, the, the finest minutiae of her, of her life. You know, things that she may have, you know, when she, the, the parts where she remembered, you know, being in the womb of her mother and stuff. I can buy into that stuff because mm-hmm. that's all memory based. That's stuff that exists within your brain at that time. I was okay with the when did you learn Chinese an hour ago because she was so able to speed read and, and all that stuff. I'm good with that. But you start defying the laws of physics, I have a problem with that. Right. You can't. You know, she's all of a sudden she's got like psychic powers. She's talking on the phone with somebody, and and somebody on the other side of the globe, she can say what's in the room. And all that stuff. That's bullshit. Or suddenly she can go through the computer network and turn lights and yeah. computers and huh. shit off and on. That all of a sudden it became transcendence. It became yeah. lawnmower man. It became yeah. something other than what it was trying to be. Yeah, and that, and that's where you lost me. And there was way too much of that. It was just stupid. Even the fact that that you know she's able to to fight and all this kind of stuff. Even the gunplay looked cool, but it, what is it about getting all this extra knowledge that? Tells you how to even fire that gun. Yeah, I, I found myself watching it, just thinking. They're they're trying to sum up things that would be intelligence that aren't intelligence that you would have to have is true learned right. responses, and and these are two different. Yeah, like things. I said, defying the laws of physics alone at the end of this movie was just dumb. Let alone, let alone when they got into the whole. Seeing the creation of the universe and the primordial ooze, and, right, right, right. and she becomes a all of a sudden she's a fucking time traveler, yeah, yeah a supercomputer. Come on, that's and, and just... I, I didn't know what the hell they were trying to do. No, that well, was actually, dumb. the worst thing is I did. At that point, I realized he thinks he's way smarter than what this movie really no, is. This movie is not smart at all. The only thing I, I thought Scarlett Johansson was real good. I, I didn't have any problem with the acting in it. Morgan Freeman's just a plot device. Um, but what I th- is Morgan Freeman the guy who's in every movie right now, though? Oh, him and Sam Jackson. Yeah. Um, what I what I do think good came out of Lucy is that it showed, and especially at the box office, it showed that the world can handle a female-led movie of this caliber. 
We we are we are all on board with a female led action flick. Yeah, just do so something I, right. So I don't understand why why the Marvels and DCs of the world just can't yeah. get themselves to give you a Wonder Woman or a Black Widow or something like that. And they all they come up with is excuses. And I'm sorry, you can give me every excuse you want. It all boils down to is you don't think it's going to make you right. money. That's it. And I think Lucy just proved it will make you money. Yeah. If people, if you build it, people will come. Right. They want to see it. Yeah. Now, granted, you may have to cast it correctly. Well, well you certainly. Let do. me rephrase that. You've got to. If you're going to pitch it initially, you can't pull somebody your ass that nobody's ever. But heard you've of. already got your cast there. You, you it, you've already seen what what Scarlett Johansson right. can you do with Lucy. Do a black you widow. Can you do it. You could do it in DC with the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman. Yep. Flick. You've already casted it. Yep. Just just do it. And, and that's a great pull because look how the world reacted when the quote-unquote first photo of Wonder Woman came out. I thought it was awesome. And so did I. Even though I'm looking at it and saying, I don't know if I'm actually seeing a photo or something that's 300-ish. It's clearly been worked on, but so will anything else. But I as she concerned great. as I was, they got the look right. Mm-hmm. And if this is what they're going to give me, then give me the Wonder Woman movie. Sure. Because I, I, I am down for it. Uh-huh. I, 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 and that's where I also get frustrated when people start eviscerating the world for a lack there of these movies. It isn't that we're not ready for it. It's that the studios are afraid people aren't willing to, aren't ready for it. That's not on us. Right. That's on the studios. Well, yes, this is where the studios need to just grow a pair and do it. Because they, people will show up. Lucy is a great example. Yep. Lucy kicked ass. It way overperformed. Sure. Granted, it's a one and done, but one and done in a matter of timing. Right. Because Guardians comes out the fall week. So, you know, it was doomed to, to fall off. Doesn't matter. It's the biggest premiere Luke Besson's ever had. It's made more money than almost every single one of his other movies combined. Yep. So, fine. Guarantee there'll be another Lucy film later on. If they can figure out a way to do it. Because last we saw, Lucy didn't exist anymore. Spoiler alert. Oh, she's everywhere. Oh, good point. She can rebuild. We have the technology. Yeah. All All right. Lucy. Lucy. I don't remember what else I saw. I remember what else I saw. Oh, go ahead. I've got to look at mine. Well, I get to choose between two stellar films. And I'll, I'll choose The Purge Anarchy. She never got involved with some of my business. Yeah. Okay, but you did, so it is your business now, all right? So what are we all going to do? Take, Take it. Take it. Just giving us guns? Where are you going? I got somewhere to be before the sun comes up. I can't take you with me. You'll slow me down. We won't slow you so down. you're really just going to leave us here? Stay off the streets. Find somewhere to go. Please take us with you. We are not the kind of people who will survive tonight. Let him go. All right, he doesn't want to help us. Shut up. What do you want me to do? Why did you save us? If you're just going to leave us, you're going to die. Please help us. Wait, I I can get you a car. I I have a friend in the city not far from here. I've worked with her for years. If you get us there safely, you can take her car and do what you have to do. She give me a car? Mm Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to help you get to your friends, but I want that car. I know. All right, you listen to what I say. You stay close, you slow me down. I cut you all loose, you understand? Yeah. Um, 
I didn't dislike The Purge. Uh, you actually, I think, The Purge is one of them you discussed in the last podcast. Didn't like it. it, it you, you liked it less than I did. But I didn't love the movie by any stretch. I thought that one of the knocks with The Purge was, I don't care about what people are doing. If you have all the money in the world, I don't care what you're doing to survive when you can live in a house bolted down. My interest would be, what happens if you don't have that kind of money? If you're the one stuck out on the streets on Purge Night? Where people are literally, I always wonder what it's like to kill somebody. Yeah. And just just roaming around. And that's more what the purge anarchy is. It follow, It has three storylines that obviously all converge. You have a, a husband and wife whose relationship is heading to a certain divorce. Whose car breaks down. They find themselves stuck out on, in downtown on purge night. You have a mother and daughter whose father is ailing. And they find out on Purge Night that he sells himself to a rich family so they can kill somebody just for the payday for his family so that he's no longer a burden. They get $100,000, he dies, the rich people get to kill somebody and not have to answer for it. That way they can see what it's like to kill someone. And you get this third guy who's going out for Purge Night clearly bent on revenge. They show him... Gearing himself up, played by Frank Grillo, by the way, uh, who I want to say was the thug, tough guy that worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. and Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, and they show him he's even aluminum-plated his car so when he goes out, he can take gunshots. He, and he, it's clear he's bound for revenge. And it's three of these groups of people find themselves out on the road on Purge Night. Their storylines mash up, and it's them trying to get to a certain point to survive and allow this one person to also get their revenge that they want. So we have two groups of people that want to survive, one who wants to survive long enough just to get revenge. Great idea. The problem is they don't do anything with character. You find yourself not giving a shit about any of them. You find yourself... Literally wondering, wondering where the people are at at times during Purge Night. Because they keep showing the same people showing up. It's like L.A. We have one of the biggest cities in this country. I'm fairly certain you're going to run into more than the same five bikers constantly. And it keeps bringing up the same things. And the people keep escaping from these ridiculous situations. And eventually you just say this movie was totally built... For Fangoria fan. That person who just is going to say they like horror movies because it's a horror movie. The problem is The Purge at no point is scary. At no point is graphic. It just is a Purge film. And it doesn't play out in any way or any kind of interesting way. It gets frustrating. They even bring in political elements around the whole idea of Purge Night. And, and which you know are going to come up again later on in the movie. And they do the racial implications of what a purge night would be. But see, that's, the, that's what I want to see. If done if, right. If done right. And they don't here. They, they, they cheap it out. They half-ass it. Sure. And it feels that way. Um, I will think, uh, in, in my opinion, the purge anarchy was the purge movie that could have been done and done right. But they just missed so many opportunities. It, it's... It's really not even that interesting to sit through at any point. At best, I can give it a 2 out of 5. If people are diehards for these kind of movies, they'll love it. If you just want an interesting spin on what does the whole idea of a Purge mean, you're not going to get it here. They're going to try to tease you with it, hoping you'll see Purge 3, The Reckoning, or whatever the fuck they're going to call it.
Well, I saw a flick too that I'm that I'm really falling in around a two and a half on only because of I don't know why. I'm gonna struggle with this one because I really just don't know how to describe it. I do not know how to talk about this film. Um, it's Michael Gondry's new film called Mood Indigo. Um, something that got got some love out of the, the festivals and stuff like that. And this is going to be another one of those flicks that's getting love in the same way that like Under the Skin's getting love. It's just pretentious fuckers who are trying to 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 make it sound like they're a lot more cinematically intelligent than you are. Uh, Michael yeah, Gond- I saw Under the Skin with a four and a half out of five the other day. Yeah, right? yeah, you're gonna get that. Whatever, great. If you got if you if you got a four and a half out of five out of Under the Skin, more power to you. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a pretentious piece of shit. It's like the people getting on board with all the Shane Carruth stuff. Yeah. Uh, what was his flick last year? I can't even fucking remember. It. Upstream Color. I watched that. I I fucking had to keep punching myself in the nuts to stay awake through it. I thought it was mm-hmm. so fucking boring. Definite pretentious pieces of shit. But if you get something out of it, great. Mm-hmm. Filmmaking is subjective. I whatever, great, good for you. Just don't try to act like a pretentious snob around me if I say I, I don't like it. But anyway, I'm getting the tone of mood indigo here. Is sort of say at, uh, at its core, it's very simple. It's a love story. Guy meets girl, falls in love with girl. However, you think Wes Anderson puts quirkiness into his movies? This thing is fucking weird. This is this is kind of like if Pee-wee's Playhouse, if Pee-wee Herman was on acid and made Pee-wee's Playhouse, that's what you're getting out of Moon Indigo. This is just I, I would imagine if you were stoned out of your gourd watching this, you would you would probably think this was the most amazing thing ever. It's basically because uh, this is where I'm going to struggle because I don't really know what the fuck it was. Um, guy meets girl, they fall in love, they're courting and stuff like that, but all of a sudden she is about to die because there's a flower growing inside her her heart or her chest or something like that. An orchid of some sort. I, don't ask. I, I don't know. Um, and can the, the body sustain that kind of thing? Well, in this movie, to a certain degree, it can. Wow. But, it, this is just the type of thing. And there's these scenes, it is so infused with all of these whimsical elements that it, to the point where it's distracting. Because there's not a big story here. The story is he's in love with her. That is it. But, like, they go dancing. And all of a sudden, all these people on the dance floor turn into these big, like, gigantic, weirdly shaped, almost creepily shaped humanoid things where they're their legs are like 10 feet tall and they're dancing around like arm flailing tube men and stuff. All the while they're maintaining a normal story in this, but with this weird whacked out visuals that are showing up in this. And it's one of those flicks, almost in in the way of like Holy Motors was, where you're watching this and you, you can't say you're not, that you don't like it because it's so fucking bizarre that you just want to see what's going to happen next. But it's it's a head-scratcher, because at the end you're like, I really don't know what the fuck I just saw. Was there at least an accordion intermission? There was no accordion Jesus interludes Christ. in this. Um, I, I didn't walk away hating this, but but 
in the same regard, I'm like, I can't say that I liked it because it was to the point where it's just, it was too fucking distracting, all of the stuff he puts in this. They get into a little, a little like, saucer-looking thing that looks like a cloud spaceship. And all of a sudden, they just start flying around the city and stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? You know, and he's trying to trying to figure out ways to save her and stuff like that. And it's, dude, it, this is really one that's just impossible to describe. If, if if you if you don't like distracting visuals in your movies, stay clear of this. Hmm. Um, it's just bizarre. He's the guy who did uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. A movie I've never seen, believe it or not. I saw it a long time ago. Um, and it was a little weird, too, but not to this extent. This is just by far the most bizarre, visual, visually bizarre films I've ever seen. It's just... To the point where you're like, I don't even know what this dude's trying to do here. Hmm. Um, and, and like I said, at its core, all it is is just a love story. Hmm. So I don't know what his point was. But it's... it's The aesthetics are interesting, to say the least. Alright. It's one of those ones... It's kind of like... A good analogy for this type of... For Mood Indigo is the old gong show. <laughs> and as an act is going on, and you see the guys about a minute into it, they pick up the gong, and they, but they, they just yeah, they're can't. Staring, they're waiting for that it. one thing that's yeah, forcing them. To they're go. like, it's all right. It'd be it's, it's not bad enough to where I just need to put this out of our misery, but I have to consider it seriously because it's really just fucking weird. Mm-hmm. And that's the type of flick Mood Indigo is. It's not bad enough to hate, but there isn't a whole lot of redeeming. But not good enough to like either. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. That that was it. That's why I give it right in the middle, a two and a half, because because it's just bizarre. This is Pee Wee's Playhouse meets an acid trip. Well, it's funny you brought Holy Motors because that's the movie I keep going back to in my mind. I honestly don't know if I liked or disliked that movie. Because I don't even know what it's about. I don't know what the fuck. I don't even know that it was a movie. I don't. I don't know. Right. I don't know that it wasn't just some random visuals that he drew out of a hat. We'll have creepy troll dude, yeah, coming out of sewer, stealing Eva Mendez. Got it. Perfect. Yeah. All right, you go. Know, go home what? to monkeys. Go home and there's monkeys talking cars, saying good night to each other. Got it. What? Yeah, I don't know. Huh? But there were accordions. There was. There was an accordion interlude in the middle, and. With multiple accordions, no less. Uh, well, it was impressive. If you're a fan of Michael Gondry, check it out. It's definitely different. You know what a movie you cannot check out is? Tammy. <laughs> do not, do not check out Tammy. Tammy, I'm terminating your employment at Topper Jacks, and I need your badge. What badge? You mean my name tag? Yes, exactly. I need your badge. I need your my, badge. It's not back. a badge. It's a name tag, and you made me buy it with my own money. That's company policy. I need it back. Well, I need you to stop sweating through your shirts and grossing everybody out. It is hot, and when it's hot, people sweat. It's how it is. That. Tammy, you have already been fired. I have already terminated your employment. You are at least 40 seconds fired, so please exit the Topper Jacks. Fine. You know what? I'm going to give you this. Tammy. I'm out of here. It's your middle finger. Nope. Poo. 
Read between the lines. I knew that you were gonna do it, Tammy, so it's not as good. I get it, Tammy. Boom, you get that? What is that? Little version of this. Not, e not even most McCarthy band should uh, check out Tammy? I would argue that unless you are completely unforgiving, if you're one of those that'll swear everything she touches is gold, then you may li I might like Tammy. I do not. I, 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 I'm getting frustrated because as much as I call out Rebel Wilson, I now must call out Melissa McCarthy for basically just being, I'm quirky fat chick who's got one shtick. And that's what she's rolling out. Tammy's basically fat chick who can't hold a job, still lives with mom, gets fired because she uh, hits a deer on her way to work. Of course... Why would that get you fired? Hilarity ensues because she gets into a fight with the deer after she hits it and it kicks her as it goes right. running off. That's all you need to tell me because, about that. And that's in the first three minutes of the movie. And she shows up and it's again, you've showed up and you're late. And she goes into fat girl antics at the fast food joint. Flipping uh, people is off and looking at the burgers. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And... She goes home and bitches and complains, and basically her grandmother offers to pay her to play do a road trip to Niagara. It's the one place her grandmom's always gone. Her grandmom played by Susan Sarandon. Another person that I can't stand, I will admit she had her day where she was hot, but I still fucking hate her. Uh, now hot. she ages setting in in a bad way to Susan Sarandon. Where let's, let's analyze Susan Sarandon as hot. Well, let, let's, I would say Witches of Eastwick, I thought she carried her own pretty damn well that way. Uh, I would still think Cher probably looked better than her in that uh, movie. You got, well, who else was in that? Was it Pfeiffer? Who yes, Michelle Pfeiffer would have Pfeiffer by far is the best looking in the I didn't Sarandon say otherwise. Was, was one of the ones? Yeah, Sar Susan Sarandon was the third. I, I'm not wrong here, right? <laughs> I'm not. I don't remember. Our one listener is up and I remember Cher. I remember. No, I'm telling you, Susan Pfeiffer. Sarandon. Uh, play some comedic music right there. Maybe I I'm I'm not. Let's see. I'm fairly uh, certain we just here. pulled the three uh, witches. Bobby uh, Slick, Chuck Nicholson. Cher. Of course, when you bring up the IMDb app, the two names it gives is Nicholson and Cher. Yeah. Susan Sarandon yeah. and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. All right. It's been a long time. Then Veronica Cartwright and Richard Jenkins, no less. <laughs> um. And I thought back then she looked good, but she's now is aged enough that it doesn't take much to make her look very, very old. Well, like they tried to sex her up for like Bull Durham, and I was oh, yeah. no, 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 no. This chick is weather beaten and bug eyed. All right, mm -hmm. she was even back in the day. I mean, people look at to her as in the little uh, the little white bra and slip from Rocky Horror. Mm -hmm. It's like oh, Susan Sarandon. It's like, dude, man, it's like her eyes need to get pushed back into her head. She, I will admit, her eyes have always looked like she was one of those squeeze dolls as guys pop on up. Eyes are my bugaboo too, dude. I, you, you got buggy eyes, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of freaked out. So my guess is then you're not into the DJ Paul's looking chick from Orange Is the New Black, right? The security. Well, guard. no, because she does that intentionally. It's, it's. No, I'm not talking crazy eye. Oh, uh, what are you talking no, about? No, the 
The girl who looks like DJ Qualls, who was the guard that got fired in season two. Oh, no, nah, she's not. Yeah, she's kind of got, got the buggy eyes. She's got big eyes, but they don't strike me as buggy eyes. All right. There was a dude, and I was in. I was living in Orlando, and we went to. I want to say we went to a Hooters, and there was a dude there who actually had some level of condition. I don't know what the condition was. Lost my appetite instantly. The dude literally had eyes that looked like they were outside of his head. Oh, you mean like the people that do the YouTube videos where their eyes can pop out a little? Oh, dude. Dude, that makes me want to barf. Oh, it does. Exactly. (laughs) And this dude was constantly... And I'm sitting in a spot where this fucker is... They kind of look like Beetlejuice that used to appear on on, uh, Howard Stern. Yeah. Freaked me the fuck out. I thought it was gross. You know, I'd feel yeah. bad for the guy, but I I don't want to have to see no, that. No, no, no. And I just I, if, I if, was, you, if you like oh, that, at least come in dressed like a blind guy with like the oh, black dog glasses or dude. tape them in and eat blindfolded. Yeah, it, that freaks me out. But and clearly, Saran is not to that. But still, I'm I'm not into the bug eyes. No. So Tammy. Tammy. Tammy, basically then it tries to become a road trip comedy of, of two people dealing with their demons. You have the, the fat chick who can't hold a job, basically is in her 30s. Not that most of McCarthy's in her 30s, but that's what she's trying to play here. I bet she is. I'm thinking she's early 40s. Oh, maybe. I will but, look that up while you keep talking. Right. And, but I'm she's so trying to deal with the fact that Tammy she cannot time. hold a, a job. And Susan Sarandon as the grandmother who is a total boozer. Can't control it whatsoever. And as is quite obvious, it becomes a a journey for them to fix themselves. And in so doing, hilarity ensues. It It is one of those comedies that when you're watching it, people around you will laugh. You wouldn't. She's 43. I, I, I thought she had to be. Um, people will be laughing and you will literally want to punch them because what you're seeing is not funny. Well, and there's plenty of people in the theater I want well, to punch. Well, and it, it, I mean, it's frustratingly so. It is so sight gag driven and nothing original here. Nothing at all. It, the, he, you know, the, the levels that this thing will stoop to. In this movie, Kathy Bates is a lesbian. And do you know who her wife is? Sandra O. Oh. <laughs> if this is what you want to see in a movie, and they so the two of them show up at the lesbian compound run by Kathy Bates and Sandra O. Oh and go to a lesbian party where drunken hilarity ensues. Right. It is literally this kind of movie. This thing is one of the arguably least funny things I've sat through in ten years. It, I didn't even chuckle once. Nothing came off as funny. If anything, I thought, you know, fat people that are uncomfortable with this would have a right getting a little angry at this movie. Um, and I'm not that guy. It, it was just flat out annoying. It went for every genre trope in the book. Didn't give anything original. And I couldn't wait for this movie to end. Why it did was, you sit through it? Because was that the second... Yeah, it was the second movie to drive in. I paid the money. Right. I can't review a movie unless I've seen it. And I knew this would allow me to bring another movie to this this lovely podcast. But you did finally sit through Dazed and Confused from Star I guess. I did. And I will say, Tammy, a 1 out of 5. Dazed and Confused is a 4.5 out of 5. That movie brilliant. is flat out brilliant. It's and awesome. I found myself literally getting pissed... Reading some of the commentary people had that was negative about that movie, 
I, I don't know how you could have a single negative comment about Days and Confused. It was just brilliant, brilliant take on the 70s, and it needs to be watched. It, to me, was that kind of pop culture love. I, it was a fantastic movie. All but perfect. Right. Uh, was that the last movie you saw? Yes. Because I won't discuss Betty Page discussing herself. I, uh, the last movie I saw, I caught Life After Beth. You need to go. Where is she? Who? Beth. Listen. If you're upset at me for not returning no. your call. No, she is not dead, is she? That's why you've been so Dad, secretive listen. about everything. Am I right? Am I right, Maury? Just tell you're me. You're not right. You're upset. Beth. Listen, Zach. Beth. You need to leave. Beth. Zach. Beth. Which is a new... I'm not familiar with this one. A new comedy, other little low-budget indie with Aubrey Plaza. Mm. Um, I, I do like me some Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. Uh, she's a little jowly, though. You ever notice that about her? She's cute, she but she's a little jowly. A little, little chip monkey. Right. Dane DeHaan is in this as her, her boyfriend. Have you seen Metallica through the Never Yet? Not yet. Keep I actually want to see it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway... That, that just uh, I, I don't mind Dane DeHaan. I think no, he's, he, he's, he's a talented. decent guy. I think Plaza's Plaza is what you get. I don't I don't know that Plaza's got a lot of range. No, she's kind of doing what she does. Yeah, but I think she works well in these little these little indie comedies and shit like that. I love like uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. I thought that was a great little uh, little indie. She's a little stoner comic is all she is. Yeah, that's exactly it. She's she is a, a she's a stoner chick comic is basically it. Anyway. Uh, John C. Riley's in this, um, uh, Molly Shannon, people like that. Uh, actually, there's a Paul Reiser sighting in this. Um, anyway. supposedly trying to have a little rebirth, but. Anyway, this is basically, it's, it's called Life After Beth. So basically, Aubrey Plaza is Beth, and she goes off hiking into the woods by herself, gets bit by a poisonous snake, and dies. Okay. So. It starts out actually pretty bleak. It, it actually starts out promising. There's, you know, there's the, uh, the funerals and the wakes and, and all this stuff and how the family is just distraught and, 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 uh, and uh, bereaving and um, uh, Dane DeHaan is the boyfriend and he's just, you know, just checked out. He's mm-hmm. just depressed and stuff. And then it, it starts moving towards this more comedic element and all of a sudden Beth is back. And we don't really know why Beth is back. Uh, but Dane DeHaan starts forming this connection with John C. Riley, who was Beth's father. And one night as he was coming over there, sees Beth inside. And starts pounding on the door, freaking it out, trying to, freaking out, trying to figure out why Beth is back and such and such. And at this point, this movie just derails because they don't answer anything. And really all this, the rest of this movie is, is the relationship between Dane DeHaan and Aubrey Plaza that's deteriorating because the more, the longer Beth is back, 
the more that she is physically and mentally beginning to deteriorate into like this crazed out zombie. Um, but, but to that early on, it's like a functioning zombie. It's like, there's no, there's no real urge to like eat people right up front. This just sort of comes over time and other people like the mailman, other people that he knew were, were dead. Like his grandfather, he goes home and all of a sudden granddad is sitting there almost looking like a, a Beetlejuice character when they were down inside the waiting outside in the waiting room for Juno, their caseworker, and you see these just, like, these gray-fleshed people and stuff like that. But we never get any explanation as to why these people are coming back. We never get any explanation of why Beth is back and is deteriorating. For some reason, they like going up into the attic. We don't know, figure that out. We can't figure out why. John C. Riley, at some point, it, it he's... Something nefarious is up with him. We never figure out what's going on. And this tries to be this comedy about this, and it just never works. It was just... The the, the premise was okay. And, and I looked at like the movie from last year, uh, Warm Bodies, which didn't do a lot for me either, which was about functioning zombies, uh, and this one kid in particular falling in love with this this regular girl. Whereas this here, you can tell it sort of tries to pull some inspiration from that, but it, it never really gets funny, and it never explains why any of this is happening. And then it just abruptly ends, and you're sitting there like, well, that was a waste of a fucking hour and a half. Hmm. It, you know, I, 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 I can't blame the performances here, because they were fine. But there was nothing to this story whatsoever. Um, and this is another one of those ones that, that I know premiered in a couple of the festivals earlier in the year. And it was getting some, some positive buzz. But if you're, if you're not looking for any level of story, I guess you probably would like it. But, nah, dude, there was nothing there. It is empty. I, I can't say I've even heard of this film. Yeah, I had heard of it, and I and I found uh, I found it out there, but it, yeah, I I can't can't recommend this at all. One and a half out of five is about the hmm. best I can give it, just because it's just dumb, because it just doesn't. And all I had to do was explain some shit. Okay, I, I didn't need anything different. I just needed you to explain what the hell's going sure. on, and it doesn't do that. Yeah. The, it, the whole point of the Why story is to make a damn bit of sense. And what's right. the what? You're not going to ch- hey, keep going. You just check out at some point. Right. Yeah. Right. So, kind of stupid. Bad, bad storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Aubrey Plaza is still cute in her own jolly way. Mm-hmm. So we'll break again one more time and we'll talk a little Guardians of the Galaxy. I come from Earth. A planet of outlaws. My name is Peter Quill. There's one other name you might know me by. Star-Lord. Who? Star-Lord, man. Legendary outlaw. Guys? Forget it. So here we are. Two thugs and assassins 
Animaniac. But we're not gonna stand by as evil wipes out the galaxy. I guess we're stuck together. Partners. Are you telling me the fate of 12 billion people is in the hands of these criminals? Oh. I am Groot. <laughs> no, we are we Groot. Are Groot. Guardians of the fucking galaxy. Yes, it's it's finally finally landed. Yes. We've had the first Marvel movie that has not revolved around the Avengers. So in the modern uh, era uh, of the mo- modern, era, the modern yes. era of Marvel movies. Yeah. Um loved it. This was, for my money, the most fun I've had at the box office since when I saw Avengers. As far as I'm concerned, it, it was just a fun... From a Marvel perspective. From a Marvel perspective, yeah. I, I'm sorry. For, it, it, looking for that summer film that you're going to throw back a, a soda and some popcorn and just just watch a good big film... This was a blast. It, it it was, I won't say perfect, because no. no Marvel film is perfect. They don't need to be perfect. They need to entertain me and give me a story. What was interesting here is we have characters that, for the most part, even some, eh, sometime comic book people, never heard of, really knew the Guardians of the Galaxy. You need to get... Pretty deep into your comic book love before you're going to know who the Guardians of the Galaxy are. Yeah. And by the response this is getting, they've captured something here. Well, everybody said that Marvel's taking a risk with this because they're playing... We with, said they're taking a risk with it. They're, they're playing with things that just not a lot of people know anything about. But... They had built up a level of trust with what they've done so far with people that people are willing to give them a the benefit of the doubt that the movie will be decent, um, and they marketed the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't hurt when you've got you know a, a seven foot talking or a seven foot tree man and a machine gun toting raccoon. Yeah, I was sold on the raccoon. I mean the the, uh, the just merchant call him rocket guy, though. You can't call him raccoon. Right. The, he doesn't even know the raccoon is. Right. The uh, the merchandising alone is gonna gonna garner them enough money. Oh, I, I've heard that the the statues and the figure uh, uh, figuary F- figurines figurine. But there's a, there's another statuary and figurines. Thank you. That's the word. Um, is already selling like hotcakes. Sure. I, I, I've seen some statues coming out of Comic Con of. Group with Rocket on his shoulder that's just gorgeous that they can't keep in stock. Right. I wonder if, uh, if they were doing any uh, plush rockets at the uh, at the parks and stuff like that because you know the, you know he won't have. Uh, any, yeah. He's not going to have the uh, machine guns wrapped around him by any stretch. That would be funny, dude. If he it did, would be, I, but I would buy I, that if he had I a machine gun. I assure you, you will not see a machine gun strapped totally. to the uh, raccoon. raccoons at the park. In Universal Studios. <laughs> uh, Universal, Disney World. Uh, Disney, sorry, yeah. Disney World, yeah. Yeah, no, not going to happen. No, this is different. This is different in that it, it's... This doesn't even feel remotely like the Marvel that you're no. used to. Not even the really good Marvel stuff that Whedon's given us. So, well, basically, I'll say, for the most part, things since the Avengers... 
this is... except Iron Man 3, uh, the stuff that's come out from the Avengers forward have been good. Sure. Um, this felt so completely different. Yeah, they, they developed their own own world here mm-hmm. with this. And what an what a impressive looking world it is. Oh, it's a gorgeous. I mean, you've world. got you're centering around Chris Pratt, who I thought turned out to be great. Chris Pratt. Um, I know he's on a I know, Parks and Parks Rec. and Rec, which yeah, I haven't watched he, yet. But he's one of those guys that you see him in one shot. He's two hundred and forty pounds. You yeah. see him the next year. He's he also played he the got voice of the him. dude in Emmett. Lego Movie. Yeah, he was Emmett in the, uh, the Lego Movie, and I thought he was great here. Yeah. He was charismatic. He was funny. Yeah, he's he looks more just like average everyday Joe. And, and it's my nothing... understanding that's how he got the role. Is yep. when they he tried out, they're like, "Wow, he's in that kind of shape." But then when he they actually spoke the part. Well, basically, what you've got here is some sort of hybrid between Captain Mal Reynolds from Firefly and Han and Solo, which is yeah, that's what they were going for. And they um, nailed it, and yeah, and they nailed it. They nailed it perfectly. Um, you got Zoe Saldana in there. Who, she's fine. Zoe, I, Zoe. I swear, at times though, as, as hot as she can be, at times I think she can look hotter as an alien because she's one of those people that looks a little too skinny. <laughs> so I can deal with it as an alien. Maybe it's the way they got to look. Um, I, for me, she was the least interesting character. I totally agree. The, the Whereas most. Batista as Drax, I was. Impressed. I like Batista. I thought Drax the Destroyer was he great. Is fun. Sure. Sure, and every scene that has Groot and, and Rocket, Rocket in it is, is, is gold. You're, you're talking a movie that at times is dominated by two CGI characters, right. even though admittedly they're CGI'd so well. I mean, you know they're CGI, obviously you do, sure. but it's a very seamless look. Yeah. They've done a great job of really making you believe these are, these are real characters. And that's hard world. for the actual actors that are on screen, too, because they're interacting with something that isn't there. Well, like the great scene with Bautista patting Rocket. Dude, yeah, with yeah. Jack's, it's such a great scene, as you, and you heard the chuckle from the audience. It was such a ludicrous looking shot. <laughs> it's perfect. Right. And it just looked natural. So they had to establish what I what I did like. They, of course, you have to establish some sort of origin here because people in general, unless you're a hardcore comic fan, you really don't know who these people are, where they're coming from, mm-hmm. and they don't spend an exorbitant amount of time really it's just a getting to that. Scene. But they do enough to give you why these people ended up together, why they ended up working mm-hmm. together, and why they in turn have a mutual respect and want to be a part of each other's lives at the end. Realistically, within 20 minutes into the movie, you've already got the idea of why they're working together. Now, what the end result is, you have no idea, but you've got enough. And you've got enough background on Peter Quill, who's supposed to be the main character anyway, as to what would make him what he is today. And there, there's a couple of things that, you know, there's a few things about this, and, you know, if we get into a little bit of spoiler talk about this, that make you go, all right, well, they didn't really go into that. We didn't really get, you know, all of a sudden, eh, why did the spaceship pick this kid out as he runs out of the hospital after his mom dies? Why all of a sudden is he getting sucked up by well, actually, they from that, The Walking Dead? They addressed that in the end. Of why he got chosen? Yes. Well, what would they say? His dad had hired them to go well, get that's him. that's true. You're right. You know, my, that's my the, He'd been hired to go... But, again, that's really spoilery as to why he was able to hold the stone. 
Sure. We don't know anything about his dad other than right. he's not from Earth. Thus, we have the makings of what will happen most likely in Guardians 2. Right. We have him Fair and enough. we have... I, I uh, forgot they'd mention that. Well, but... It, yeah, but no harm on you. It was literally one sentence, a really quick shot. Yeah, but I've seen it twice. I should have picked up on that. <laughs> um, but, you know, why did he wait 20-some-odd years to open that present? That's problematic to me. Um, you know, why... I, I guess I can understand why he didn't take his mom's hand, but they don't really... They don't really dive into any... And maybe and maybe that's why he waited. Because does he regret that moment? I got that he so did. So he felt like he did deserve the, the presence. The, the connection during the stone scene. Yeah, yeah. When he sees Gamora. Mm-hmm. Right. And that suddenly becomes his mom. Right. Holding out her hand. So I think that was the point. I would argue it didn't really play off that way. As far as opening the present after that, maybe was he just to be thought connection. he didn't deserve the present because he wasn't there for his mom. Yeah, maybe, but then towards the end, then he deserved. I guess you could. I guess if you read between the lines, you could come to that conclusion. I'm okay with that. Though. Yeah, again, Marvel movie. That that's that's as emotional we need to get here. Oh, it it, it, it I thought it, I thought it did turn into that a little bit. It, t- mm-hmm. it did turn emotional there towards the end when no. when you see the mom and actually the scene that got me the most was losing Groot, dude. Spoiler, <laughs> losing Groot. Even though you know you don't lose Groot. How much Groot did is they, How much did they pay Vin Diesel to just sit around? Dude, and I've heard the number. It's it's not quite double digit millions, but it's close. But it's my understanding he did have to say "I am Groot" in five different languages because they did make him voice that because they didn't know how they could dub it over. I am Groot. Groot. Um, uh, You know, Groot was awesome. However, I love Groot. Is Groot now? We've ragged on Station before. Is Groot not another spin on Station? No, Because because we know what Groot is. Because they say that when, when the very beginning, when they're in the prison and they're going like, and I can't remember the exact terminology John C. Riley used. Well, they say he's a, a high a walking plant humanoidy yeah. thingy or something like that. But the station thing is, station only says station. And station means oh, that for right, everything. Right. Well, I didn't even play that off and said, pretty sure the answer is I am Yeah, I agree. And... and uh, when Rocket's character came a conversation literally later on, it understands that, that the, right. It becomes uh, this is this is Rocket's Chewy, is what sure. it is. Yeah, yeah, Chewy, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Chewy, I don't know what you. Yeah. Oh, bring me the fucking hydro spanners, Chewy. Yes, <laughs> yeah. You know, I I thought I thought Groot was, was just the, the facial expressions after his Hulk scene there, and that's what it was. Stuff, the facial insp- and he turns around, and does the smile and stuff. That yeah. was just that was little touches like that were Groot hilarious. Groot was the big dumb innocent, is yeah. what Groot was supposed to be. Although I didn't get that he was that dumb, right? But you know, he Groot was supposed to be almost the Hulk kind of idea yeah. that that everyone believes it's dumb. But as you're watching, no, it's not dumb. It's that it doesn't communicate. Does that doesn't make it dumb? Right. It knows everything that's going on around it. Right. And which they kept hinting at early on. Every time they would say, "So we'll split the money between the three of us." And they show Groot. All yeah. right, four of us. Right. <laughs> because right. Groot is more than just Rocket bodyguard. If you hadn't told me that that was Bradley Cooper as Rocket, though, I don't hear it in his voice. Very rarely. 
he definitely did something to his voice to to change it up a little because mm-hmm. because Rocket doesn't sound in most cases doesn't sound like Bradley Cooper. But I thought he was awesome. Yeah, and the voice work is great. I have heard Bradley Cooper had done commercial voiceover work before, mm-hmm. and if that's the case, I think that must have come through that he was trying to use a different voice, yeah. other than what he uses when he's actually himself on the big screen. I thought Rocket was great. I yep, mean, he was. He was just. He stole every scene he was in, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, basically we got kid who's who's essentially kidnapped. We find out. I just found out. We find out at the end of the of the story why he was abducted. And he's abducted by Blue Merle, basically Michael Rooker, Merle from Walking Dead, playing Merle from The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah, Rooker will always be Rooker, yeah. will always be Merle. And uh, they called them Junkers, so basically dudes who just go around the galaxy stealing Even, shit. Right, and then what he called his group the Ravagers is what yeah. he called his own group. Yeah. But yeah, they're Junkers. Um, which, which, you know, reminded me a lot of Firefly, yeah. which is really all Malcolm Reynolds and his crew were, was just yep. people going around to do dirty, illegally strip the, dirty the, deeds the, done dirt right. cheap. They uh-huh. illegally stripped those remnants of ships yeah. that are floating around for the highest bidder. Sure. Yep. Um, and then thereafter, uh, well, at least up front, uh, Star-Lord, uh, Peter Quill is after this orb who he takes to, um... A, what did he call him? I don't know. They didn't call Basically him the, a, no, they, wasn't the collector. The collector, was, the collector uh, but it was Alicia. another name. The, the well, the buyer turned out to be the collector. But yeah, basically a guy who just who has clients who are looking right. for he, shit. He buys antiquities yeah, for other an, people. He, exactly. Um, and then once he finds out that this is tied into Ronan uh, the Accuser, guy wants nothing to do with it because Ronan's just a big dick. Who's uh, who's angry that uh, the Crees signed a peace treaty with? Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the the planet that they were on there that Glenn Close was in charge of. Um, but regardless, Ronan's a dick. Um, doesn't want anything to do with peace and wants to has made a deal with Thanos and Thanos was freaking imposing. Dude, I like Thanos. Thanos and, was an and imposing motherfucker. I like the fact that you could tell that they did take Brolin's face yeah. and superimposed it with yeah. the image. Yeah. So you can see some Brolin in the face of Thanos and that's perfect. Yeah, and so basically Ronin has made an agreement that I'll get this orb for for you, Thanos, if you in turn will destroy that entire this, planet. This <laughs> entire planet that I that I hate. Um, and then once Ronan gets a hold of this orb, he finds out that there is an infinity stone within the orb, which essentially will render you immortal, and decides at that point that he'll take that power and take care of the planet himself, and fuck you, Thanos. And what we find out during the Infinity Stone discussion is that there's actually six of these yes. that have been created. Now, basically, if, if if people can control the power of them, they pretty much have control of everything. Sure. Sure. Um, I, uh, I, I like that storyline. I, I, I still... I, they could have done a little more with Ronin... Especially towards the end there, because all of a sudden I'm thinking like, all right, 
There's too many scenes where Roland just looks a little too much, reminds me a little too much of death from Bill and Ted. <laughs> Especially towards the end there when, when, when really it's, it's come down to the final seconds and dudes just starts trying to get into a dance battle. Which is a funny scene, but all of a sudden here's Ronan, this big badass and stuff. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, I'm thinking. I'm thinking like, oh god, you're thinking, you've got you've got this battle. Are you going to play swinging and clocking this gonna, dude right Are you going to play Battleship yeah. with him next yeah. for the battle for the for control of the world? Best three in the fight. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that I got some of that at that point. I'm like, all right, you're really sunk by Battleship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Best four to seven. Damn right. Um, yeah, so I got a little bit too much of that vibe at that scene specifically. Um, but yeah, it was fine. I, you know, I, as a villain and stuff, I mean, we're, we're just establishing this world. And I think for establishing what, bringing it to this point, I think they did a great job. You know what I think they established is I, in this world, I think the intent's always going to be, no matter how heavy things are going to be, the intent of these movies is going to be to have fucking fun with them. As it should. And that's that's what I think the dance scene was intended to do, is as as awful well, as they things set look that like up they be. This, this movie is all about so, the awesome mixtape. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, and arguably one of the more fun soundtracks to in a long time, especially when we talk in the 70s. Yep. Which has some pretty shitty music. Oh, we had some runaways in there. With Dude, Cherry, Cherry Bomb. Bomb. When I, as soon as I heard the first look, I looked at my wife and said, Oh my God, are we going to get some, cher- some ch- 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 Cherry Bomb? You're right. You'll remember that from the movie that Kristen Stewart ruined yeah, called The Runaways. Runaways, yes. But the, it, what's funny is between Dazed and Confused in this film, in the past three weeks, I think I've seen the two best movies, the soundtracks of the 70s. I'll just throw in Almost Famous now, and you're all it, It's a trifecta of <laughs> evilness, right? A, a, a perfection. Right. It, I mean, it, the soundtrack work here was perfect. It, that's just... This movie, at no time, is supposed to... It, it's very dark. It's very violent for a Marvel film. And at times, it's very adult. The language is heavier than what we've seen in past Marvel films. Well, yeah, because you get a few shit bombs. You get the you get the, the flip-off, which was a hilarious scene. Well, it was a great scene. And, and you get the word dick thrown around a few times. And yeah. prick, as, thro- as mentioned yeah. by Glenn Close. Actually, shit ended up being uttered three times. Yes, it did. I caught it. I, 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 I was counting because you and I had the conversation. Yeah, I caught um, it. Too. But it works here. And it works because there's a comedic element to this film that I think goes along with the they dance got my dick heart. message. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> it, it, above all else in this movie, I think the intent is supposed to be to have fun with it. Yeah. And I know, people say, well, the Avengers was too. Right. And this is not knocking the Avengers. The Avengers no. is a 100% fantastic film. I worship that film. But this is different. In order to do something different, I think Gunn chose... A funnier approach to things. And it worked. I'm a warrior and an assassin. I do not dance. Really? Well, on my planet, there's a legend about people like you. It's called Footloose. And in it, a great hero named Kevin Bacon. He teaches an entire city full of people with sticks up their butts that dancing, well... It's the greatest thing there is. Who put the sticks up their butts? What? No, that's just a... That is cruel. Just a phrase. 
And as I understand the Guardians of the Galaxy, to my knowledge, it is funnier. It is supposed to be rife with pop culture references. There's, there's He's supposed to be... There's a raccoon with a machine right. gun. There's a raccoon with a machine gun. There's a walking, talking tree. And there's a dude who was abducted from mid-80s America. And he called him Ranger Rick. Oh, dude. <laughs> Which was so awesome. And there, even the reference where early on when Quill says... It's not like Wake's the reference the Maltese Falcon and the yep. Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. But and you call that dude Ninja Turtle. And if people want to flip out, it's like but Quill was abducted from mid eighties yep. America. Yep. So his entire memory would be things from mid seventies to mid eighties. Sure. All of these references fall within that time frame and it's perfect. And as a pop culture lover of the eighties, oh, yeah. this movie's right full of that shit. Yeah. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Perfect with it. Visually, I thought this movie was freaking awesome because it really was just, I don't know, it felt like the, the, the set pieces, they were just like these visual cosmic things, you know, especially like when they're out in space and it really just looks like this, I don't know, like this Northern Lights meets Technicolor. You know what it looked like? If you see somebody do a painting of their idea of what a sci-fi book or album yeah. cover should be. Yeah. It, it's the ultra colors popping on you. And, and the nebula, there's always a nebula floating, a cloud nebula yeah. in the background yeah. and that kind of thing. Where they throw every image, there's like planets, you can see the atmosphere around it. And you, said, it was, you said painting that reminded me of my favorite movie, favorite line of this entire movie. Oh, the black light? Yeah, the black light here. This would look like a Jackson Pollock painting. <laughs> that was awesome. That was risky for a day. Yeah, it Marvel. was. Like, that no kid has any shot of freaking getting. But people are like that, and it harkens hilarious. back to why Shrek is such a great movie. Oh, yeah. Because there's stuff in there that, as an adult, you're going, "Oh my god, I can't yeah. believe they just put that in there." Yeah. And kids will have to go, well, "I don't yeah. get it." You don't have to get it. it. It's it, awesome. It, it's awesome. It's, it's that is where this film to me ex excelled, and this is where I've got to give credit to Marvel for letting Jane I, I gotta believe Gunn had a lot to do with us here yeah because Gunn does some pretty R-rated stuff but the, he's he's got a great eye for I think this movie was all but perfect it, it's a it, Gunn did a fantastic job of giving me a Marvel movie that was 100% different than anything I could well, possibly well and that's something I, I really appreciate about this is that they didn't they allowed this to be a completely different universe. Yep. They let these guys go. They let these characters go and become their own thing. There is no reference whatsoever to anything Avengers yep. related. I didn't even see any Easter eggs in there that yep. Lutus. And I know there's a plan to cross these streams. Oh, guns already down said. Guns already said and, that there's talk of having an Avengers and, and I Guardians believe in the, in the comic book medium that that has happened. Um, but yeah, they, they allowed this to be completely themselves. There was nothing in there for Iron Man fans nope. or Captain it's America fans. It's a hundred percent autonomous for To right the point now. where you were, you almost could have, could have seen, uh, Peter Quill walking around with a Captain America shirt at some point. Which actually know. would have been pretty damn funny. Which except might have been funny. He would have been gone from the U.S. at the point of that movie. He was gone in the mid-80s. Well, he was, but are we saying that Captain America didn't exist? No, Captain America existed. Right. But 
you didn't see a whole lot of people wearing Captain America t-shirts in the mid-80s. But that's not because not because they didn't exist. No, they existed. They'd be pretty damn hard to find. Um, It'd been funnier to me if he'd been wearing like a Ghostbusters shirt or a Howard the Duck shirt. Best end scene ever. That I mean, we're not talking about... The, the only connection this had to any past Marvel movies was the fact that I think it was the end of Iron Man 3 that you had the collector. Uh, no, Thor. Thor. Maybe it was Because Thor. They, they dropped the... Uh, is that the one they bring the Tesseract? Yes. To give to the collector. And yep. the collector shows up briefly in this here and he falls into the... So that's the only connection that this even has... To a past event, to Marvel Studios, and it's, it's 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 you're you're really sort of grasping at straws to find that that's really a connection, right? To the two different, it, it was more of a teaser for the yes. fact that in eight months we'd have a Guardians film. This, which year, is interesting, because the collector is only in two, well, three scenes of this whole movie, if you include the one during the end credits. Correct. Um, I love, and you get like that. Real quick, right after the Guardians of the Galaxy, directed by James Gunn, thing, you get that little quick scene with Batista and, and little Groot and stuff, which yep, I thought dancing, was home, yeah. which is freaking hilarious. He says sharpening his dagger and like, yeah. what the looks, and all of a sudden Groot stops. Yeah, I thought that but, was that was freaking hilarious. I, again, for me, at times Batista, which when he I heard he was cast, yeah. uh, I thought, eh, not that I have any passion on the characters, didn't know anything about them. I was concerned because a lot of times the wrestler dude doesn't translate here. He worked. <laughs> he was yeah, awesome. Because, and a lot of it was the fact that he would be such a raw acting talent. Yeah. The whole idea that that's the whole point of their race is that everything is literal. So they yeah. everything is very flat delivery. It's just, boom, this is what it is. It was perfect for that character. It was right. a lot of fun. Right. And then the then you get to the final credit scene where the uh, the collectors say, "Why do you let him lick you like that? That's gross." <laughs> and fucking Howard the fucking yeah, is sitting in the is sitting in the broken cage. And I love the fact right before that was the comment about was it no no raccoons or walking talking trees were yeah. injured in the making of this film, <laughs> right? Right. That's because a you know, thing. you know that there's some. Subspecies of human out there that is angered that they that Peter Quill was kicking the Thank CGI. You. I was gonna say there's two <laughs> scenes that I gotta bring it up. That one or the one in the bar where they're watching the, the table game yeah. of the big creature eating the little creatures <laughs> as a game. Somebody from PETA the, out there oh, is yeah. gonna call this out. Yeah, the, Peter Quill using these rat things as mics and the, stuff. The no brain people that are up in arms over Steven Spielberg killing that poor innocent triceratops. I should have brought that as a news story because when I saw the ire some people had, even though I can't some prove people, that they really didn't know it was. Oh, I guarantee you there was some who did. Because I'm I sure you were the same you. one that I did whether there was this chick who went on a paragraph long rampage about it. I guarantee there were people out there that were outraged over that, and those are the people that need to be taken out back and just right. put down for the good of humanity. Right. <laughs> Um, no, this this is just a fun, fun movie. 
it's Des- a, despite the few flaws. Right. It's a fun movie that I flat out cannot wait to revisit, which is interesting for me. Because normally I won't look forward to paying again to see it. I intend to go see this in IMAX next week. I feel like I it have was, to. It was very impressive in IMAX because it was a 3D IMAX showing. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of 3D, but the 3D really looks good here. The IMAX looks good here. Um, it it's really just a lot of fun from from start to finish. And, and like I said, the, the pop culture, the '80s references, the soundtrack. This is a movie that is not taking itself seriously at all. Oh, God. The characters are are purely cliche characters. No, there's no doubt mm-hmm. about that. They they are distinct Actually, personalities. I would argue they before. intentionally hug the yeah. cliches. Yeah, um, that's the whole point. This embraces its corniness, um, but, you know, it, it does infuse heart at the right spots. Mm-hmm. It infuses humor at the right spots. Um, yeah, it's a blast. And, and I would say, yeah, they might have taken a risk, but that risk paid off. Oh, God. And by the way that the box office is showing, it's going to pay off come the end of the year, too. Yep. This this movie, I would be surprised and I would, if it isn't one of the top three of the year. I would argue... This one very way be. I don't think it'll make Avengers money, but this one I would be surprised if it doesn't. By the time it's done, push the five or six hundred million dollar worldwide range. Oh, I, I think I, I, I think it'll excel. I think it'll exceed that. I mean, you know, when you look at the year end, you're still going to get Mockingjay up there. You're still right. going to get Transformers for whatever God. Damn reason is still going to be up there, but uh, Spider Man. Yeah, I think at the end of the year, what you'll be looking at this one: Mockingjay, Transformers, Spider Man, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, the Lego Movie. Yeah. It, it has definitely made a bunch of fucking money, and there will be one or two others. But uh, I think this one will be in one of the top three spots come the end of the year. Yeah, and, and it deserves it. This this movie. Needs to be seen. Needs to be seen on the big screen, too. If people are going to wait until the video release, do not. It's too gorgeous a film to not see on the big screen. And I you? love the amount of little kids that are at this having a good time. Having a blast yeah. with arguably the most adult of the Marvel films. Yeah. But it didn't matter. It's still a Marvel film. Right. And it was, yeah. Which is, was, which is We had the little girl in front of us whose dad had to get her a booster seat. Yeah. And when the movie ended, did you hear Mary make the comment about how much she loved the movie? Yeah. It was great. Yeah. There was a couple other kids up there that couldn't have been, yep. a couple rows up that couldn't have been more than seven or eight. And Having a blast. Yeah. yeah. And this movie is just tailor-made for it. Yeah. You have a raccoon with a gun. Yeah. Game over. That's yeah. check and made. Right, right. <laughs> That's where DC goes, how the fuck do we block? What defense on chess do we use against raccoon with gun walking with talking tree? DC is, is still just trailing a Marvel, without a doubt. I mean, I'm excited for the Superman-Batman thing, but... I'm I, excited, I, Not but to the I, level right. I am for uh, Age of Ultron. Oh, no. Because Joss Whedon, man, is... Zack Snyder, I, I don't hate Zack Snyder, but he is no Joss Whedon. Nope. At all. I don't think Zack Snyder has the passion around the genre like Whedon uh, does. No, you know, I'm, I'm I, not I, about no, that. No, no, no. I don't mean around movie making. I mean the comic book nerd level genre. 
In my mind, Whedon actually. But you're talking about a guy who's who's done more comic book related stuff cinematically than Whedon. Yep, I would agree. Uh, but I think that matter of fact, everything he's done except for Sucker Punch, which is really like original idea, and I, is you could, I think you're spin this that's Sucker Punch borrowed from that oh, from the idea of some of that stuff too. Certainly, but I do believe that Whedon. Whedon, I think, gets what it is to be a, a comic book nerd. I'm not so sure that Snyder does. Huh? We'll certainly see. We'll see. I mean, uh, I didn't fucking hate uh, uh, Man of Steel. I need to revisit it. No, I didn't. But I, didn't. My, I, I just think I'm still going to get frustrated on the same 45 minutes at the end that I did last time. Right. So, that's why I've always avoided it, was... I just don't need to see Metropolis. Hey, look, we haven't destroyed that building again. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I don't have a whole lot left to say about it. No, no, I mean, where where do you fall? One out of five. Oh, uh, an easy four out of five. For me, four and five out of five. Yeah, maybe maybe this will be one of my four and a quarters out of five. I, I... just love this experience. It, it was so much fun. It was one of those movies that, as it ended, I felt bummed that it was over. Yeah, I, I was bummed to see the "We'll be back with Guardians 2, which we knew was going to happen. Sure, but it's three years away, and I. And you know what? It, it, as you get older, you're like, all right, yeah, I can't wait for the next one. But eh, all right, I right. can wait for well, the next one. It's as funny. long as you keep giving me something every year, I can. Yeah. At this point, last year, dude, we were watching The World's End. And that just seems like a matter of two months ago. Yeah. We were talking about doing our own World's End time to kind of crawl. And we still need to do that. Yeah. Um, well. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that no. sometime. Um, uh, but yeah, this this four and a half out of five for me. It was just a fantastic film. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't know what's next here. Um well, we're probably going to do a link later discussion, but are we going to discuss, are we going to go see Sin City of Dame to Kill for for podcasting? That's pro- is that the same weekend? I think so. I don't have any any desire to really podcast around that. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm fine to, to discuss it. So our plan is probably going to be to see Boyhood that weekend. If, we, if it appears up here. Well, I know Boyhood hits the Nick of the 15th. Okay. And that's in two weeks. Then that's and I know the two weekends there. after is not going to work for either. Well, it's not going to work for... Neither of them are going to work for me. And one of them is not going to work for you. Um, Fantasy League. Right. right. So, I think the that weekend of the 15th, 16th is, is the weekend. That's and podcast that's, weekend. That's we'll see Boyhood then podcast. Yeah. So, you got some Linklater shit to watch. And yep. And actually, um, shit, was it HBO? Yeah, it might have been HBO. You don't have it. Um, before Sunset loaded up, but I think it was HBO. So, irrelevant to you. I found Before Sunset. Before Sunrise is the one I can't find. Oh, uh, really? That's the first one. Yeah. I, I can you'd buy probably, it. You'd probably give a used copy for a few bucks. Well, yeah, I, I can buy it on Amazon Instant for two ninety nine for, well... Buy a rental for two days. Well, like so. I said, if you don't like that, there's no point in watching the other two. Fair enough. It's but I did love Dazed and Confused. Yeah, so. a different movie. I, I understand that. Uh, but at least I can say I've revisited that one. And, I would, and I would recommend you catch School of Rock. Yeah, I don't know why I've never really sat and watched that. Because I like James Black, but... It's Jack. Ja- I, yeah, James Black. <laughs> Jack Black. 
Like, that didn't sound right. Right. Alright, well... Anyway. Yeah. We'll, Seed uh, Guardians, we'll, we'll uh, revisit in two weeks. With some link later. Alright. Later. Later.